Alright, so this is the second of this talk series I'm doing on knowing right from wrong. And tonight's topic, the quest for happiness and the problem of sin, um, is one of, I think, one of the most fascinating things I've had the privilege to study while I've done studied moral theology. So when I studied moral theology in the seminary, actually when I was taught the teachers there, it wasn't very interesting. Um, when I went when I sent away to do further study, and I looked in particular at the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas, and this question is one of those that kind of changed my whole perspective of looking at how I behave, and in particular when this analysis of describing sin was outlined for me, I recognized myself in it. I thought, yes, that's what I do. That's why I do. So what we're going to look at tonight is what happens when we sin and why it's linked with this quest for happiness. So, um, another way of titling this would be the Mysterium Iniquitatis, the mystery of evil. Um, so you may remember uh, St. Paul saying that to the Romans. He says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. But there is this sense in all of us that sin is a bit of a puzzle, a bit of a, a mystery. And so what we're looking at tonight is some attempts to understand that puzzle. So a couple of cartoons here to clarify the question. Uh, so do not push this button. Um, is temptation, is it really that random and irrational? Because there's a way of talking about temptation as if temptation comes to us in just as random a way as that. Second uh, similar image. Yes, sorry, another logical contradiction. How can you... So, when we're reading scripture, and actually if you know your Genesis well, you'll know it wasn't actually quite a serpent, it wasn't an apple, um, but that's how we always picture it. Was God giving Adam and Eve a command utterly random? Was it as random as being told, do not touch this button? And what I'm going to be outlining is actually no, sin isn't that random. Sin is actually rooted within us, but something within us that we go goes wrong. So, why do we sin? Well, the short answer um, is because all sin is attractive. So, St. Augustine, if you read his Confessions, this is what he outlines at great length in looking at his own experience of life and sin. St. Thomas Aquinas. On that later, though, our modern world actually denies this. That our modern world is obsessed with freedom. Come on, there's a seat over Stuck in front now, Lee. <laughs> you might want to take your coat off unless you collapse in the heat. Okay, so, slightly longer answer to the question why we sin. Three parts to this answer. One, we talk about concupiscence. So, concupiscence meaning with desire. But there is, our faith tells us, a disorder in my desire. So, to quote this passage from Romans a bit longer. I do not understand my own actions, for 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, uh, the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So this notion that somehow there is something dwelling within me that is pulling me to do the wrong thing. And this is what we call concupiscence. That in our desires, in our passions, there's something else of kilter that is one of the reasons why we sin. Another reason, you could say very simply, the devil tempts us. I'm not going to focus on that tonight, but that is one of the reasons. The answer I am going to look at more tonight is that sin is a trap. Why do I sin? Because actually there's something about it that looks good to me. So let's take a step back and consider why we act at all. Now you may remember last week I talked about the quest for happiness that's within all of us. And in all of us, whatever we do, the saints tell us we are looking for happiness. So this background image behind all these slides is the sun and its rays. And we kind of have life in general on this planet has within it a yearning for light, a yearning for the sun. And so that's kind of an image of within us that we are built with this yearning to be happy, a yearning for God. So to put that a bit more technically, we talk about an inbuilt teleology, teleology meaning the end, that we have within us a movement that we don't choose, but something that moves us to fulfillment, a fulfillment, a goal that I didn't choose, that I didn't make myself. That when things act, they do it for a purpose. So plants grow towards the sun, foxes hunt because they're hungry, but they don't choose those things. It's just built into their instinct. And there's something built into us too. Not at the same level as the animals, but we have within us a telos, an end. That we don't choose, our creator chose it for us. He made us to be a type of thing that finds fulfillment, the way the plant finds fulfillment, yearning for the sun. So what is my end? What is my chaos? Where do I find fulfillment? Well, St. Augustine, you may remember I said this last week, he said, looking at all of human behavior in his confessions, he says, all people desire joy. He says, all people agree in desiring the last end, which is happiness. And the Latin he's using is beatitude. And I'll note later a bit more, but modernity actually denies an indulgent Modernity wants to say, no, you're just free to make yourself whatever you want to be. But actually, that defies further analysis. Actually, we do all want to be happy. We disagree about what we think happiness is. We disagree about where we think we'll find happiness. But everybody wants to be happy. So, um, we have an 
inbuilt teleology, St. Augustine says, we seek good things to acquire happiness. So things like wealth, honors, fame, glory, power, pleasure, all kinds of things, goods, we seek those thinking, if I have that, then I'll be happy. If I only have the latest iPhone 6S, then I'll be happy. A good I pursue, thinking it will give me happiness. And uh, both Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas say that actually, the happiness that humans need something more than an iPhone 6S. It has to be a, a comprehensive good that includes, that sums up all other goods. And what that means is that human happiness consists in God alone. Do you remember, you may remember me saying last week um, that you don't seek happiness in order to have something else. You don't seek happiness in order that I'd then be rich. You don't seek happiness so that in, then I'd have a wife. Rather, you want a wife in order to be happy. You want a house in order to be happy. That happiness is the end goal. And what Augustine and St. Thomas are pointing out is that actually this quest for happiness and the quest for God are actually the same thing. We don't realize it when we, to begin with, but this yearning to be fulfilled, yearning to be happy, is the same yearning that is only satisfied in God. So I'm asking the question, why do we sin? I'm first asking the question, why do we act at all? And I'm saying, well, we're acting all the time, seeking happiness, even in small things. You sit down and you think, I'll just be a little more comfortable and a little happier being sad. Whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking I'm going to find a little bit of fulfillment happiness. So, let's focus this slightly differently. Think, seeking good things. So, again, I'm saying there's an inbuilt teleology built into me. Uh, Pope Benedict quoted St. Augustine on this. The soul is moved spontaneously and not by constraint whenever we encounter something attractive and desirable. St. Thomas puts it this way, whatever a man desires, he desires it under the aspect of good. Whereas Aristotle said, all knowledge and every pursuit aims at some good. So what am I saying here? What are these saints saying here? Um, that something that we call a good comes across my path, and when I see it, I'm just spontaneously moved towards it. So I see a chocolate cake and even before I choose whether to eat it or not, there is something within me that moves me. A spontaneous movement to something I recognize as good. Now if I see something on the plate that looks ugly and repulsive and cold and not nice at all, there's no movement towards it within me. But let's suppose that my mother, who's always concerned about my health, of course, um, 
My mother tells me that although that pile of goo on the plate looks disgusting, actually it's got these vitamins in it, and it's got these carrots, and it's got... So although it doesn't look nice, it's being presented to me by my mother as being good. Good in the sense of healthy. And if I look at it in that sense, then within me there is a movement if I recognize it as a good, as healthy, a movement towards it. And anything I choose, I'm choosing because there's something about it that looks good. Maybe to stick with that analogy slightly further, um, let's imagine I'm not a 45-year-old man, but I'm a little boy, and despite my mother telling me that the vegetables will be good for me, um, I don't care whether they're good for me, um, whether they're healthy. But my mother tells me she's going to hit me if I don't finish my vegetables. <laughs> well, I want to not be hit. That is a good I am pursuing. And that looks attractive to me. Um, so therefore, I have a movement that the eating of the vegetables has something attractive about it and that it will cause me to not be hit. Whenever we act at all, we're acting because there's something about the action that looks desirable, that looks attractive, that looks like it will somehow give me happiness, even if in that case it's the happiness of not being hit by my mother. Um, whereas if in the action there was absolutely nothing attractive, nothing that would fulfill me, nothing that would be good in the sense of desirable, I'd have no reason to do it. I wouldn't do it. So why do we act? We're always acting because there's something in the action that has the aspect of good. Not the aspect of good, let me clarify, in terms of morally I don't mean good in the sense of right and wrong, but good in the sense of attractive, good in the sense of desirable. All right, what about sin? Well, the point I'm heading towards is that when we sin, actually we're doing the same pattern. We are somehow pursuing the good but in a wrong way. So, again, whatever I desire, I desire it under the aspect of good. Um, and Walter Farrell, he phrases it this way, sin occurs when we choose good evil, which is rather clumsy English, but we're choosing good, but in an evil manner. The way we are choosing good is somehow wrong. And again, not good as morally good, but good as, ooh, that's good, that's attractive, that's nice, um, that's desirable. So we're going to think about the question, choosing good, evil. So notice we've now changed to another colour, we're now looking at sin. Um, so why do you choose good evilly? Well... St. Thomas says, evil passions or evil habits cloud the intellect, leading us to make erroneous or ignorant 
or willfully erroneous judgments. And he says we're frequently blameworthy for such judgments. So, um, evil passions or evil habits. Um, that there's something within me, before that moment, a passion or a habit, that clouds my thinking so that I don't see things truly. I see an aspect of good in something, and so I reach for it, rather than the reality of what's truly good. Okay, let's... Sometimes there's two ways we do this. One way is we choose something good in itself, but not according to proper measure or rule. So such a sin does not presuppose ignorance, but rather an absence of consideration of the things which ought to be considered. Four examples here. So you eat five donuts, not one. So one donut would have not just the aspect of goodness, but probably would be good for you. You know, a sweet stuff in moderation, that is good. But a real good in itself, but out of measure, five of them, and now I've leapt to the sin of gluttony. So I'm choosing something that has this aspect of goodness, but out of due measure. Second example, that you rest for six hours a day instead of one hour. So, as human beings, we need rest, we need relaxation. But that has to be proportionate to the other things we do in life, other things we need to do in life. So, rest looks like a good, is a good. Therefore, it is attractive. But if I pursue it out of measure, then it becomes sin. Slightly more nuanced example, you pray when you should be studying. Now, I often point this out to the seminarians, because um, um, like anybody, they find their work difficult, and they often, when they're at their desk in their room, working on some essay, they will feel an urgent call to go down to the chapel and pray. Um, now, praying at some times is very important for a seminarian, but to pray isn't excuse to avoid what you should be doing actually is a real good but out of measure. Fourth example, you play games when you should be working. So again, games relaxation is a good, is attractive, we need, but it has to be in its right time and place. So what are we saying here? We're saying when we sin, we choose good, but in an evil manner. And one of the ways we choose good in an evil manner is by it not being according to its proper measure or rule. It is good, but not in its proper measure or rule. Now there's a second way that we choose good evil. Oh, actually, before we do that, let's consider um, the fall of Satan as an absence of consideration. So, on the previous slide here, St. Thomas was saying that when you do any of these things, you choose something good but not in proper measure, you've not properly considered. If you considered properly the donut, you wouldn't have five of them. But it's easy to have five. I find it easy to have five. 
<laughs> that I just have one and another and another, and as long as I start myself thinking about it, um, I can keep going. Um, you know, I'll sometimes have people say to me as a priest, well, Father, you shouldn't think too much about these things, should you? Um, Whereas actually, no, we do need to think about what we're doing. Um, and if we don't think properly, we end up doing good in a wrong way. So in your family, you could care for one person at the neglect of others. A good but out of proper measure. Now this holds even, so an absence of what ought to be considered. This even holds for the devil. So the devil fell. Lucifer, the angel of light. Um, he fell from heaven. Now how did he do that? What did he choose that was wrong? Well, he did choose something that was right, but not in proper measure. So he, St. Thomas says, he chose to behold his own wonderful excellence rather than look at the beauty of God. And Lucifer, the angel of light, was wonderful. Wonderful to behold. If the devil instead had even once looked upon the splendor of God, he would have been so completely satisfied, he would have never wanted to look at anything else. But Satan chose not to look. He chose not to consider what he should have been considering, and to just focus in on his own self, on his own beauty. And in that's a pattern of many ways we can see. So his own beauty was beautiful. But to focus at that in the absence of what he should have been considering was a sin. Okay, second way that we choose evil. St. Thomas says we choose an apparent good instead of a real good. So it somehow appears good, but it's not really good. Now he gives this example. Um, he says, we view adultery as something desirable, as good. How? He says, we choose this delight of an inordinate act as something good to be performed now rather than as something to be performed at another time by another person. So if I yearn for the married woman next door, well, actually, there is a delight available with her. But that delight belongs to her husband, with her husband. It doesn't belong to me. Now, if I don't think about her husband, and I just think about her and the delight, then being with her looks attractive, appears good. But it's not a real good. So coming back to the thing of absence of consideration, if I look at her more completely, I look at her and see this is a woman married to another man. Then I see the bigger picture, and it no longer appears good. That the real, the reality is being kind of exposed by thinking about the action properly. But one of the ways we see is we narrow our focus 
on just one aspect of what appears good, and so it therefore appears attractive. And so I go for it. So a major part of the battle within me to battle sin is to be able to step back slightly before I do certain things to think about the bigger picture here. So that when I see the donut, I don't just think of the taste, but I think of the calories and how many other donuts I've had and whether I've had my five a day of vegetables. Um, that I'm seeing the bigger picture. And if I don't see the bigger picture, then things that aren't really good will appear good. So two ways that we choose good in an evil man. The first, it is a real good, but it's out of measure, out of context. The other, something that actually isn't a real good just has some appearance of good to it. But in both cases, there's something about the action that has an aspect and appearance of good, and that's why I can choose. Let me just note, um, stepping back theologically a section, what the a moment, what the church is saying about evil here. So what the church is saying is that evil isn't a thing existing in itself. Evil is just a corruption of a good. That pursuing the evil means we are pursuing a corrupt uh, pursuit of good. So you may know in many of the pagan religions there were, or are, um, two gods. A god of goodness and a god of evil. A good god and a bad god. And the good we see in the world comes from the good God, and the evil comes from the evil God. Well, Christianity says, no, that's not the case. That there is one God, and any evil there is, is a corruption of good. Any evil there is, is lacking goodness. So that the devil isn't an equal to God. He is not, so he's not only not equal to God, but because he's only an angel, but as a fallen angel, he's lost something of what an angel should have. He has a privation of his being, a corruption of his being. So, St. Augustine looks at it this way. Evil is a corruption of a good. So, choosing evil involves choosing something desirable, i.e. choosing something as much as it appears good, and it's only able to appear good because it's a corruption of a good. St. Augustine gives this example. He says, A man might murder another man because he loves his wife, i.e. the wife is the good he pursues. He says, but would anyone murder a man without any other occasion than only for the delight he takes in murdering? He says this is incredible. He says, when we do evil, there's some reason we're doing it. And that reason is something that appears good to us. And I think you could probably stretch that example to other scenarios that Augustine doesn't list. But 
you might murder somebody just because it makes you feel powerful. Well, actually, being powerful is a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be powerful, to be strong. But it has to have its right place and context. Um, so evil, when we choose evil, when we choose sin, we're choosing a corruption of good. We don't become something better, we become something less. We are lacking the fullness of what we should be. Alright, I'm heading towards the end now. Um, I want to say a word about freedom. And compare what St. Augustine and St. Thomas have been saying with our modern view, which comes from a philosophy called nominalism. So in what Augustine and Thomas have been I've been describing their thoughts. They say when we act, we act always pursuing good. Even when we sin, we're pursuing good in an evil way. So that we're therefore limited to be seeking happiness, even if we're seeking a false happiness. Now in our modern way of thinking, people think that they are just free to do whatever they want even to choose evil as evil. Because that's our, our modern way of thinking. Freedom has become the thing in itself. But St. Augustine would say, actually no. Um, closer analysis of human behavior shows that isn't the case. Even when somebody asserts their freedom, they're actually asserting it within certain parameters, functioning like a human being. I'm asserting freedom because actually, in one way, being self-governing in a good way is a good thing, rather than just being mindless the way a vegetable grows without fault. But there's a way of being free that is not true freedom. Just a thought about freedom, slight detour, but... Um, When God's grace works within me, does that make me less free or more free? Because God is working in me, not me. Now in our modern way of thinking, because freedom is the thing, if God's grace is working in me, then that's somehow a difficulty for my freedom. Where St. Thomas says, no, the reverse. When God's grace works within me, it makes me more free than I would be by myself. Because freedom has a goal. As St. John Paul II puts it, freedom, in its proper sense, is freedom for something. It's not just freedom from something. Whereas our modern way of thinking is so focused on being free from other things. I'm free from poverty. Free from somebody else telling me what to do. Free from a cage. Which doesn't ask the question, what is freedom for? What's it aiming at? Well, St. Augustine, St. Thomas, freedom is aiming for God. Freedom is aiming for our happiness in Him. And so even when I sin, even when I do things wrong, 
my freedom is acting in a certain way. It's acting, seeking what somehow looks attractive, looks like it will give me happiness, looks like it will give me what actually only God will give me. So getting a right concept of freedom uh, is very important that we're going to have a right concept. Okay, back to our starting pictures. Um, is temptation really this random and irrational? Well, what I'm saying is no. That we sin according to the type of beings that we are. We sin seeking things that are attractive. We sin seeking things that have an appearance of good. Either a real good out of measure, or an apparent good rather than a real good. And so the remedy for myself... Um, not only prayer, seeking grace and whatever, but at a kind of moment-by-moment -moment level, is to be sure I'm seeking what is truly good. Thinking clearly, not having that absence of consideration, so that I see what is good, and then I'm able to choose it.